ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Welcome. It is Wednesday here on Hard in the Paint, and every Wednesday is dedicated to Saints discussion with my man, the one, the only, Ross Jackson. Ross, welcome back for another edition of The Dome Patrol. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, man, doing very, very well. Glad to be back here with you. Glad to be here for another week. Uh, I mean that on a lot of layers, but we're out here, <laughs> and we're good, man. It's Good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, last week was a huge grind. Did some stuff in Lafayette. And, yeah, um, you did. That went well, and things just continuing to grow, and I'm enjoying it. So it's like it's. Th- I tell people this all the time now. Is like this, what five months now, and it feels like mm-hmm. it's been longer. You know. Yeah, sure. yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was funny because the time we saw, I was talking to my former producer Dave DeCorby, uh-huh. and. He's like, man, what's it been, three months since we ended the show? And I'm like, dude, it's been six weeks. <laughs> six weeks. <laughs> it hasn't been that long. <laughs> and he said, I'm just totally lost on time at this point. So, yeah. yeah. But I think we've used it to this great advantage to make deeper connections with people in our industry, to have these better conversations. And, yeah. um, you know, I think our relationship – and our, our thing has just grown and grown and grown. I think people look forward to it at this point. And I enjoy yeah, doing it with man. you, of course. Yeah, the very same, the very same. This is the time to do to do this. You know what I mean? Like to step in and, and really, really sort of uh, find a way to entrench these these relationships, these working relationships and everything. And just put up, you know, and create something like we're doing yeah. here and everything. And so I'm grateful to be able to do it. I didn't get to tell you last week, so I'm a week behind, but happy belated. Thank uh, you. To you as well, my man. Yeah, of course. Thank you the big four five. Hey. Uh, so you know, I, at least I look younger than forty five. I think. Yeah, there you know. go. Drew Drew Brees going the opposite direction. You right. Can see his age. <laughs> like if you see me stand next to Drew Brees, I think <laughs> yeah, I could. I'm, I think I could hang in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. No, no doubt. No doubt. No, just, <laughs> if I lose a little bit of this, I'm even better. So I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um. So it is training camp. Yeah, man. First practice in pads on Monday. Um, Today is going to be day three. Uh, So the biggest thing, let's start with the offense, Mm -hmm. because that's going to be the thing that everybody's drawn to first, Um, the timing of that offense. We have not seen a lot of Drew Brees early on, and I didn't think we would expect to. They're going to be very careful with him throughout training camp. But – what have we seen out of his arm and what do we see about his, his mental approach to this strange uh, shortened training camp? Yeah. I mean, I think so far we, we can talk about the arm because real quick, because we can get that out of the way pretty quickly. We haven't seen anything yet. That's, you know, to, to write home about or anything. And, and that's just, they've had one day of practice essentially at this point, they're moving into the third day now, but yesterday was a day off. And then Monday was that first day. And so you didn't really see a ton. You saw maybe a couple of passes get, you know, 30 some odd yards down the field and everything, but that that's really all that we saw. And so we're still waiting to see how that off season work has affected his arm strength toward the idea of him being able to get it further down the field. You know, the, the big arm stuff came from Jameis Winston all Monday. Uh, he was, 
pretty impressive. I'm sure we'll circle back to him at mm-hmm. some point. But when we talk about Drew Brees and his mentals, you know, like his mental preparation is the same. His grind is the same. He's out there doing his thing. He's, you know, chatting and communicating with every wide receiver that's out there. He had one misconnection with Benny Fowler. Benny Fowler ran a great route off of a double move. And I think that um, Drew Brees anticipated him taking it out, sort of going for it with an out and up. And so he put it deep, whereas Fowler continued to go toward the sideline. So you could see that communication happen right after that play in terms of, hey, here's how we fix that. And you could, you know, it's going to be one of those things where you'll never see that mistake again out of Benny Fowler now, like that kind of a thing. And so, you know, he's doing his usual thing, going through all of his progressions before throwing the ball on one on ones, everything, you know, he's doing his his same thing. So if anything else, I would imagine, and, and from his press conferences and the way that he talks about the players that are around him, it seems that he's worked on deepening his relationship and his connection with each of these players which could have something to do with the off-season business that took place. Mm-hmm. But also, look, you just that's, that's the, what these guys have been able to do over the off-season because they've only really been able to talk to each other. They haven't been able to just work together. And so he's really deep. It feels like he's deepened his connection with a lot of these players, which I think is going to help from a chemistry standpoint going into the season off of the distance off-season. Yeah, and I think that there's part of it in the back of his mind, too, that if this is the last season – you want to savor all of this. Yeah, you want to go through training yeah. camp and make sure that you do it. You give it 100 at the training camp. You want to make sure that you those relationships that you've established in the locker room, that those last beyond that last game that you play, whenever it is, either this year or next year. And I, I think that, that that means a lot to Drew Brees. I think that his legacy in that regard, and I think that we saw that the, the emotion of, of what damaged him – this offseason and dealing with mm-hmm. uh, the topic of race and how he reacted to it. Again, we'll see how that, that goes long-term in his actions, but I will say um, at the very least in that locker room, he has done the things that so far have been necessary and unnecessary, you know, to an extent like you didn't have to do those things. Right. Um, I think to deepen the relationships with his teammates uh, and I, I do think that that's very important because you could mm-hmm. not have uh, any kind of rift or disagreement right. in this season in particular. You can get by with that in some seasons. But this one, no, everybody's got to be, all 53 have to be moving in the same direction. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you're, you're seeing signs of that. The way that everybody communicates in the press is very similar. A lot of people are saying the same things. You know, like the universality isn't, isn't ruptured in any way, you know, people are still very much buying in everybody's in everybody's doing it. So, you know, you, you gotta love that. And I know that I love the observation about this potentially being his last, uh, his last camp, David, because I think that's such a big thing. Like I know that he always says that he takes everything year by year, but you know, when something is maybe your last, like, you know, the difference, even if you try to treat it like it's not, or you try to treat it like it's just any other day, you know if you think, oh, this might be my last day at work or my last day seeing this person or whatever it might be, like you still walk, you still walk a little bit differently, right? You still walk throughout that a little bit differently. And so I think that we'll see a lot of that from Drew Brees this year. Even if he does ultimately end up deciding to come back for 2021, I think that this is the most, realis- most realistic last season for him that he's had in his career so far. And so I, I think you'll definitely see him treat it that way. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it before. You saw how Brett Favre was in the last few years of his right. career. His personality had started to change. Um, he was always the fun-loving, you know, Brett Favre, Brett Favre, that you know, <laughs> John Madden loved. But at the end, it just seemed he was a little bit more reflective. And yeah. I just I think that that does happen. 
And the, the thing about Breeze, and I'll put this in comparison to some of those other players, whether it's a Peyton Manning who Emmanuel Sanders is compared him to, um, I think the difference between a Breeze and a Peyton Manning is that Manning has done this since he was in high school. You know right. what I mean? Like the, yeah. being the guy, the focus of an entire organization, the focus of a league. The, mm-hmm. it, like he was the face of the SEC. He was the face of right. high school football in Louisiana. He was the face of the NFL for all those years. And, you know, the, the number one pitch man in the league. Mm-hmm. There was a difference, I think, for Peyton because his, his mindset was always on the after. He had put his yeah. business interests in all those things. That hasn't been Drew Brees for the course of his mm-hmm. career. It's been football, football, football. And my charity work, football, 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 family, football, football, football. And and I think that for him slowing down now mentally and taking those snapshots of your locker room, Mm -hmm. of your practice field, of your, of those moments. Yeah. He's been going so deep into it in his mind that I think now he's going to let a little bit of it, you know, into those emotions. And I think that can fuel you at times especially mm-hmm. during a difficult season that this is going to be because there right. are going to be those unknowns throughout the season that happen. And I think that that emotion can lift this team at certain times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I completely agree. Especially in a season like this where you're going to have so many things that may feel, you know, different, that may feel foreign, that may feel, you know, just out of place. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, we have to talk about, you know, when we say that, obviously having no fans in the stands is a big part of it, right? How do you find a way to enjoy the game when you're not getting that immediate reciprocation that you've been used to the entire time that you've played football, whether it was your mom on the sidelines or 70,000 people on the sidelines, you had reciprocation the entire time that you played this game, your entire life. That pregame huddle becomes different. Right. You know, the the shouting, it's going to be different. And yeah. it's just, it's not going to feel the same because you're used to the crowd building up while you're doing, and they're paying right. attention to it. And when yeah. that hand comes, boom, and the, the 75,000 yeah. erupt. Yeah. And for that not to be there um, is going to be really interesting because it's probably something now you do in the locker room. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah, it, it doesn't have the same impact on the field. Right. It's something that, okay, we're in, as a whole group now in this room at right. this moment, it's not just 10 of us. It's not just this right. o- the offense or the leaders. It's 53 in this locker room, and we have to do it that way. And I think we'll yeah. see the bonding of the franchise, too, because, of, again, the way we talked about last mm-hmm. week, the setup of camp. Um, this, it's going to be the tightness of this squad. Um, and to see Cam Jordan again and his comments and just see mm-hmm. the buy-in uh, top to bottom, like I said, the universality, sometimes that can be an indication of just everybody's toe in the party line. Mm-hmm. But um, there seems not to be as much of a focus on like, you know, at the end of people's careers, they do a do it for Drew or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. We're in this one for John Elway, man. I think the saints and I would give Drew Brees credit for this too. It's this is for everybody. Right. Yeah. I think we've heard maybe, I think we've heard maybe Emmanuel Sanders say, I want to come here. I want to win a championship for Drew. But it's also because he's coming in as a brand new, you know, he's a brand new addition to the team, newly acquired in the offseason. And the question was, why did you decide to come to New Orleans? And that was one of the reasons he decided. Not talking about a goal for this season, not 
projecting into the future. It was about why did you come here in the first place? Because what we learned from Manuel Sanders' most recent press conference is that he and his agent pursued the Saints, not vice versa. And we know that Emmanuel Sanders' grandma had a lot to do with that. And you listen to Mama. When, when Mama say go to New Orleans, you go to New Orleans. It's very simple. Uh, but, you know, it also brought him closer to home. He's an SMU grad, everything like that. But he had mentioned that you know, he wanted to win another one with Drew or, uh, or for Drew with Drew. But again, it came from a different perspective. And you're really not seeing that elsewhere at all. You're just seeing people come in and want to play their season and want to win games. That, that's really what you're seeing. Like, I know that that sounds so cliche and so, so basic, but that's really what the focus needs to be right now because it's hard to really cling on to anything else. And so when we talk about all those other things that are going to be different, you have to find the positivity. You have to find those moments that engage you and that keep you going. How can the bench keep the offense going when the offense is on the field and vice versa for the defense? How can you all find that sort of motivating driving factor? Because all of a sudden, away games become neutral site games. And who's just the loudest might make a big difference. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it, it's going to be really interesting. And I think that Drew Brees finding that positivity is going to help propel him through what is a weird potential final last season. And what, unless the NFL does a uniform no attendance right. policy, what's going to be weird is there are going to be certain states that have lax their um, regulations, yep. and you'll see 20,000 in those stadiums. Like, and Jerry Jones mm-hmm. talking about putting it he all said filling everybody going to be there. <laughs> he said so everybody coming. <laughs> I want to see if I think the NFL does need to apply some uniformity there because yeah. it isn't fair. It isn't yeah. fair that some teams are going to have a home field advantage of some type where others will not. I, I think you have to make it the same for everybody. And I think the NBA did a great job in that, trying to apply some home touches to a neutral uh, court. You can't mm-hmm. do that in the NFL at this point because they are going to be traveling. But right. I think you do have to make sure that there is a consistency in presentation from game to game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Finding some way to standardize all of that is is something that should happen. And we've talked about this before with the you know fake crowd noise and everything. What are the standards for that? What are the standards for that if you have you know 10,000 people in, in, in the stadium versus 20,000? What are the standards and how is that measured if it's an indoor stadium versus an outdoor stadium? How are certain acoustics taking it, taken into consideration? You know, Arrowhead's acoustics are way vastly different than Levi Stadium, for instance. Yes. And so, you know what I mean? Or in Seattle. So, I mean, Seattle, like, think about yeah, Seattle. It's a, yep. Yeah, that's that a stadium was example. designed to have sound bounce back to the field from the crowds. Right. You won't get that from audio from the speakers because that's coming Mm-mm. forward. Right. I think it's going to be really strange because you know how the Superdome, the Superdome has never been known for great audio. Right. It is, it is a horrible place to listen to a concert. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you are not yeah. nearby to the stage, it just bounces off of that roof and it goes right. everywhere in a hundred different directions. It's great for a crowd because you want that sound to go straight up and come down. But mm-hmm. the audio system there has never been great. Nah. It's just you don't want to be place. you don't want to be at the peak of the dome either because you ain't hearing nothing. <laughs> it's just it up for five bucks for a second, and it's just <laughs> <laughs> it is, <laughs> that part is going to be interesting because how if yeah. you go too loud and it's just reverberating off the building, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's as a player, I think that they're going to have to practice these things too. Yeah, doing yeah, it yeah. even out on the practice field in, in Mary doesn't even – it's not close oh, it's outdoor. to what yeah, it's going to yeah. be like. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. It's going to be real interesting because even, even if you try to do that in the indoor facility, it's not going to be the same acoustics as you have the dome roof and everything. So it's going to be, it's, it's vastly different just in terms of architecture and everything. I'm sure, look, I'm sure they're figuring all this out and that they're working on it, but it is, it is an interesting thing. To, I mean, I'm going to hope. We'll I'm going to hope. hope. Let me say it that way. I'll, hope, we'll I'll hope. hope that they're figuring it out, that they're working on it. But it, it is an interesting conversation because how do you standardize this across different conditions across the NFL? Even if the NFL says no fans at all games, you still have to standardize it across indoor fields, outdoor fields, domes versus arenas, hybrid stadiums. Like there's still so many different variables to all of it. And, and probably stuff I'm not even thinking about that makes, you know, each and every home environment different from one another. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the way players come to the field, if it's a single tunnel, you know, or if it's an opposite end of the stadium tunnel situation, yeah. you know, it's the, the, those things have to come in when you talk about distancing because you now you don't want to see players intermingling in the, the walkways before games and all those stuff. So right. it's just going to be very digital. How do you move coaching staffs to the box? Are there going to be times when it's only one in an elevator? How You know what I mean? Because you can't right. put four and five people in the elevator at a time. You can't distance that way. So you're starting to move your staff into the box you know what I mean? Hours. <laughs> Hours before the game. Two, I mean, there won't be many <laughs> elevators to, to worry about because there's no fans. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But how you know how it is getting to the press box level. Yeah, it's, man. And if the Superdome is it's just boom, 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 going up and down, yep. and it's, it's going to be so weird because he, however many media that they do allow too, if you're up at that top level, right. to travel all the way up there and you're watching down on that field, it's going to be, I mean, it's just going to be awkward. It's going to yeah. be really awkward. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, be, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's interesting for Drew Brees to be entering what feels like, you know, a little bit more finality on this season and the season's conditions being what they are at this yeah. time. It's, it's very, very different and very, um, very odd. I think I would say in terms of what you would expect from your final season in the NFL, potential final season in the NFL. Right. And so that, where, where are those footholds, you know, throughout that, that allow him to continue to make it enjoyable and continue to, you know, drive this team forward. What's interesting though, is something that hasn't really been talked about too much is that, Hey, if they play only eight games this season or something like that, eight or 12 games, or if you have to cancel the postseason for some other reason, you know what I mean? How does that change Breeze's decision? Right. Right. And then, it, then yeah. that domino of what it means to a Taysom Hill, what it means to Jameis Winston, you know, if Breeze says, I didn't get my season in and I want right. my season. I want to go out with, with a full season. That changes everything. Yeah. Because, yeah, it would be an interesting thing because my, my expectation would be, look, if this season doesn't happen, then Drew Brees retires. That's really my, it would be my expectation. If, if that were to happen. If it because, didn't happen all the way, I would say 100%. Yeah. But let's yeah. say they get off to a great start and they look like there's a legit top two team, three team in the NFL. Right. Yeah. And you get that cut off. I don't think he could walk away from that. Yeah, I think that would be tougher, especially if it's a, you know, uh, I, what was it in the 1980s, the postponed season, the way that they, they kind of split it up in half. Yep. Like if that were to happen, I think 100%. But if you lose the season, if the season doesn't get started or you only get you know, less than a quarter in, of the way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Then, I yeah. can see him saying like, no, nah, you know, I, look, I got all this time with my family now and everything. And then the Saints would probably be in, it would be in, 
it would be interesting to see how the cap figures into all that because does the cap still cut down next season or do all these contracts that end up going unfulfilled get told moving forward so that next year you just pick up right where you left off contract wise or do you lose that year you know, you gain that year as an accrued year and then you have to move forward i think you would have to move forward uh, through everybody's contract yeah, cuz if, if you if breeze has to have that contract extended for a year Right. Well, if he retires, if he, if he retires, retires, but there's still dead thing. money yeah, yeah. too. Yeah, it's the definitely. dead money for two yeah. years. Right. Then that you're talking about. And yeah. then that's a problem if they reduce the cap and yeah. you're spreading it. And ho- hopefully with this reduction, they spread it out. But if they yeah. do a one year major reduction, huh. then the Saints are in a diff- much more difficult position because now yeah. you've got to offset all that breeze dead money. And that makes you make some hard choices. Then you yes. doubt. Yeah. I mean, just as, yeah. as my thing, would you doubt that Alvin Kamara would be back then? That he becomes 100%. then because you can't give him fourteen million if you're still in double digits with Drew Brees' dead money. Yeah, yeah, no, it it would be that would be a really tough situation to try to claw out of, and we can't we can't pretend like it's not a possibility. It's very much a possibility because we don't know we don't know what we're about to embark upon here in this uh, this NFL season. Like, yeah, the MLB is looking a bit better as long as you're not the St. Louis Cardinals, but outside of you know, but that doesn't mean that it's going to continue to go, you know, the way it's going to look at UNC, look at North Carolina, the university allowed students back. Notre Dame, they allowed students back for like a week and then hit 140 cases just on campus. You saw three different clusters in UNC over what, 24 hours, 48 hours, something like that, something wild. So, I mean, you know, obviously those are much larger populations than a football team, but still just looking at the percentages of that, that's something that can affect this team and that can affect the NFL as a and whole. So we don't know. We don't know. I'm not saying that that will happen. I'm just saying it absolutely can. And there's some advancements being made in testing and everything. Thanks to the thanks in part to the NBA and Yale, but you know, there's still things that labs still have to want to buy that labs still have to want to input that and everything. And so, you know, I think it's the fifth, fifth saliva test that's been approved by the FDA now, but this one seems to be the one that might stick because of the way that they, they essentially took an entire phase out of the testing uh, pro- uh, protocols and everything. They took the entire extraction phase out, which is great because that saves a lot of money, makes it cheaper, yada, yada. But do labs want to do it? Is it? Can it be automated? You know, Can the process right. be automated enough that a lab wants to buy Because that's the it? problem is mm-hmm. getting the results back in a timely fashion exactly. and the yeah. cost associated with get them, getting them back faster. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And if they can automate the process, that would be helpful because it's literally just in terms of entering the, you know, taking the, 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 the subject and putting it into the testing. That, that's, that's, that's the only human component that's left. So if that ends up getting automated in some way, then that changes everything for this testing. And, it, you know, it could be that, you know, if you have a game on Sunday, you can test on Saturday morning and then get results back Saturday night if that becomes the case. But we're not there yet. And I think that's the biggest thing. We might not get there is the thing. Somewhere Elizabeth Holmes, if you remember, you know who that is? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Somewhere she is kicking herself. Right. Because if she had hung oh, on, right. this could have been the, the idea that would have made her a legitimate business person instead of a yeah. fraud. But like, <laughs> if you can figure this out, how to automate this and get it faster right now, yeah. this is building a better mousetrap and you will get paid. Like, and that's the sad mm-hmm. thing is that we're talking about mm-hmm. medical stuff in the sense of who's going to make the most money out of this. And that's really what's, is it going to cost less and who's going to get paid from it? But 
that's right. That's life right. in America. Yeah, that's <laughs> the other that, that I was gonna say. That's the other top end part of it is you know how much do people are people gonna want to get paid for it and everything, and how much are these labs gonna want to charge, and also you and know, this, we'll, see. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Another thing is that we have to realize that they're only seventeen days to flip cut down. Seventeen days, man. Seventeen calendar days, not seventeen right. practices. Practice <laughs> days. 17 calendar days. That's an, that's, that is an incredibly short amount of time to make these evaluations, to remove 27 guys, and then to make the decision on 16 for the practice squad right. while you're watching, trying to figure out from other teams with no right. film other than what you're Nothing. seeing generically. Nah. It's, you, got, this, you, got, you got phone calls. That's it. What are you doing? It's like you're relying on your relationships with GMs to be honest with you and for coaches right. to be honest with you and say, yeah, I think this guy is a fit for your system. That's really what it's going to come down to is yep. how much do you trust your relationships with, your, with the other executives and coaches in the league? Yeah. And I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting part of it because there's a, there's a world in which all these GMs buy in and they're like, look, we're going to help each other make sure that we have the best practice squad available so that we don't lose the season, right? And making sure that we have, you know, the best competition that we can get. You know, if somebody gets sick, you've got good guys on your practice squad. So we will give you, you know, sort of a pool report, if you will, on, uh, on, on all of our guys and everything. And maybe there is sort of a, uh, uh, look, I don't want to use the word unwritten rule because of uh, everything that's been going on here recently, but maybe an unwritten agreement. Uh, toward all of that or you know it's hey come over here you know King, King Crawley's available if you want him he's like real good during camp you know what I'm saying come on come mm -hmm. through I know you need some boundary depth like you know it could be any of those things it could be either one of those things so it's gonna be real interesting to watch and see how many practice squads are formulated or, or excuse me that are, are, are populated by players that aren't on the current club yep you know or if it just ends up being very insular and homogenous in that way that you know, 27 people get let go, 16 of them get brought back, and 11 of them are waiting for a phone call. It could very, it could very easily be, or I guess I would even say 21 because 10 have already been cut. Right. You know, except uh, Tommy Lee Lewis signed with the Panthers. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. <laughs> what, but, what are the know. Panthers doing over there? I, I mean, <laughs> you can't recreate it. You can't just do it and say, okay, I mean, you got Christian right. McCaffrey, you got Teddy, now you're adding just saints upon saints. I mean, that's what the fifth saint that they've signed this off, former saint they signed this offseason? Yeah, yeah. And, and then you can include Joe Brady in that. They have nine total, that, you know, including players that have been, you know, Chris Manhurts, who was with the, with the Saints a while back, things like that. And so it, it is, it's a funny thing. I get it. Like, I understand what Joe Brady's doing. Joe Brady loses a former Saints wide receiver and Keith Kirkwood, who already knew his language and knew – his version of the Sean Payton system, which is basically the Sean Payton system that he's he was going to try to run. So we haven't seen. I'm, I'm saying I'm he's saying, a body. But, like I mean, right. yeah, you lose a body. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I mean, they're they're in good shape at the top of their wide receivers. But yeah, you know, those those other guys that can be role players. You want people that are familiar with the system that you're putting in. He loses Kirkwood, so logically he brings in another Saints receiver. Happens to be Tommy Lee Lewis. I don't know if that's the greatest choice, but he was the only one on the market. So you know. He did what he had to do. He picked up the scraps. But it, it makes sense why, like, 
particularly at the wide receiver position, which Joe Brady has a lot of experience working with. He worked very closely with the LSU wide receivers last year, much more closely with LSU wide receivers than he worked with the quarterbacks like Joe Burrow and Miles Brennan. And so, you know, it makes a lot of sense that he's like, let me bring in some wide receivers that already speak my language. And if I lose one, I'll bring in another. It, it makes sense. It makes sense. I don't know that he makes the roster, uh, you know, but, you know, they've got DJ Moore, who's a great returner that's already there and is a, but is also a top wide receiver too. So, and I, How much do you I, want to risk that? I had a conversation with Sheena Quick, who covers the Panthers, and she was telling me about how, you know, the guy that's the X Factor this year is – um, and wh- why does his name fall right out of my head right now? Um, Curtis um, Samuel. Oh, Curtis because, Samuel, yeah, yeah. Because Samuel had a really good season last year, but he's been – you know, he's been nicked up and mm-hmm. uh, hasn't achieved all the things. But she was talking about that the Panthers may use him a lot like – Ty Montgomery was actually used with the Packers, have him come out of the backfield as a runner at times, and then also line him up at receiver, which would be something that's really interesting because Curtis Samuel has incredible speed. He's great in the open field. I just wonder if you want him to take those extra hits. Yeah, I I think it's an interesting thing because I also wonder, like, why did it take you that long? Why did it take so long to figure out how to use Curtis Samuel? Like, I mean, Curtis Samuel should have always been the – you know, a hybrid out of the backfield or, you know, line up in a slot, take a jet sweep to the outside, which they did do with him a lot. Like, but there's so much more that you could do with a player like that. But I think you're right. I think part of the hesitation is that he gets nicked up. He gets injured. He's very, I don't want to call him injury prone. I, no. I don't, not, I'm not a big fan of that phrase altogether, but he ends up in situations sometimes where if you're putting, if you're putting all that extra wear and tear on him, you know, or, or is it different because the, the impact might be different, something that maybe his body can sustain a little bit more familiar? You know, there, there's other options or, or, excuse me, other factors to it as well. But I hope that they do find a way to use him that works for their offense because he's incredibly talented. Oh, he's absolutely. wildly talented. He's and if they can't the figure it out, you know, just send him on over. <laughs> Sean Payton will work it out. Yeah, <laughs> you know he will. You know he will. It just, it, you have to wipe his chin. There's all the thoughts that he'd be thinking about, oh, we can do some stuff now. I need three more weeks of training camp because I got I to gotta get this guy in. Yeah, you, you like know, he'd be, he'd be like Mozart just writing more right. in a zone, writing plays. <laughs> he'd be sleeping at night. <laughs> Curtis Samuel. <laughs> Speaking of nicked up. Ah. Andrew Speed. Ah. Yes. This oh, was not boy. a surprise to me when we got the news <laughs> that Andrew Speed was hurt. It just oh, it wasn't a surprise. Like it was the least shocking thing of camp that the first week. Right. He's unavailable. And yeah, he's probably gonna be back for the regular season opener. But it's your hands. This is this is right. and, and it's just Andrew Speed. Man, it's wild, dude. Like, I, I feel bad for the guy. I really do, you know? And, and, and I know we share that sentiment because it's just like the dude works so hard. He dropped, you know, he dropped some weight coming into camp. He's passing conditioning tests, which is, you know, which is new for Andrew's feet. And so, like, he was just in this really great groove and in this great trajectory. Tour. It was like, okay, well, maybe there is some excitement about this guy. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, broke my thumb. Like, it's just – it's wild. And you have to, you know, it's, it's like you said, he's, he's, it, let me not say he's probably, I'll say that it's very likely that he'll be available for week one, whether or not the Saints want to want to roll with him week one uh, is a different conversation. Cause maybe they feel more comfortable because Nick Easton is getting this work in and camp. And so they want to open up with, with who's been getting work, you know, not that there's much of an improvement in terms of, you know, skill there, but 
familiarity or whoever it is that they would end up rolling with, you know, cause we have to remember that Will Clapp can play at left guard. Cameron mm-hmm. Tom can play at left guard and they love Cameron Tom. Uh, Calvin Throckmorton, the undrafted free agent that they just brought in can play there. Patrick Everybody's Omane high. Can play there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of options at left guard. If Andrews Pete isn't either, isn't ready to go week one or the saints say, you know what? Take a seat. And then let us work with you for a couple of practice weeks before you get back involved week two, which can totally happen, but we'll see. I mean, look, there's a good chance. um, It was, who was it? Jay Glazer called it a fracture in his thumb. I don't know if it could be as much as four to six. Depending, Mm -hmm. it could be as few as two to four, could be as Mm -hmm. many as four to six. Yeah. um, Depending on how it heals. Yeah. And in certain situations, he could have been out there for a game next weekend, depending upon how it looks because Jameis Winston had a hairline fracture in his throwing thumb, you know, in the thumb on his throwing hand last year, 456 yards and four touchdowns against the Indianapolis Colts broke that thumb, had the hairline fracture, came back the very next week against Detroit, 458 yards and four touchdowns in that game. You know what I mean? And so it just, it, it, it's one of those things where like the mental side of it, depending upon where you are in your schedule, like if this was a playoff week, Andrews Pete would probably be out on the field. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those types of things. And that's but, been the hard part, though, for Andrews, too, is mm-hmm. mentally, I think. You right. know, he's been, he's been beaten down by fans, certainly. Right. Um, yeah. There have been the expectations that were had that, that he came into this franchise with have not been met. Though mm-hmm. he has been to a Pro Bowl, it's, it's, you expected more. You expected right. more. The, yeah. Where they drafted him. Um, what he was expected to be and as far as his versatility. Um, he hasn't been as good at either position as you might have liked. And I do, do think, and right. we talked about this, the depth of that offensive line is huge. The way Sean Payton built it for guys who could play multiple positions. Yep. And then I think you have the greatest safety valve in the league on the right side of your line that, and as we've talked about, Ryan Ramchek, it doesn't matter what side you run. He's a dominant run blocker in those situations. Right. And I think if you feel any kind of hesitancy on the left side, you can run and pass and get that protection from the right side. You maybe have to, you maybe have to do different things with Breeze to, to, to protect him yep. if, if you feel like it. But I'm not concerned that Pete is out. You'd like to have him. But I don't think it's yeah. one of the things, if I'm talking about the list of concerns for the Saints at this point, Andrews Pete's absence for the next four weeks isn't one of them that I'm, I'm really focused on. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if he was out that long, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. The Saints have done a very good job with a patchwork offensive line before in the past. You had to expect that at some point this season they were going to do it again. Hey, maybe they get it out of the way early this time as opposed to it being right before the playoffs like we're used to seeing. So it, it is an interesting, but you have to imagine you, you talked about the mental aspect for Andrews Pete. This has to suck for him. This has to be terrible for him because you, you think about it mentally. If you have you know, a soft tissue injury that's recurring or you have a ligament issue that's recurring, that's one thing. But this dude's literally breaking bones out on the field you know, two years in a row now. He's suffering these impact injuries that it's hard to have control over that kind of stuff. It's hard to have control over that. And, you know, I don't know if there's a question to be asked about, you know, why are you breaking so many bones, fam? But, you know, whatever it is. Are you not drinking like, your milk? <laughs> right. Like, what's going on, man? But, you know, but, you know, I, I'm not a doctor, so I can't make that evaluation. All I can say is that from the mental side of it, this is something that he has no control over no. for the most part. You know, he's just, it, he's just breaking a bone. And so if that's the case, how does that feel, you know, to, to, to sit there and think, all right, I'm ready. I'm going to be good going into the offseason. And then this other thing that you just can't prepare yourself for happens again. 
and all. But again, like he, you know, according to Jay Glazer, out for less than, you know, they said at least, or he said less than two weeks. I would say at least two weeks uh, because there's no reason to rush him back. No. Because it's, it's training camp. He's missing a couple of weeks of training camp and that's it. And he knows practice. this stuff. If yeah, he's in and shape he, and he can still right. do conditioning with yeah. this. So yeah. he's, he's very I don't think easily. it's a problem. Yeah, he it's can not. still be in the facility. He can still be a part of all that. It, the only, and then he would still also have a week of practice before week one. So even if he misses, let's say, all of training camp, the 17 days that remain at training camp, starting on the 6th or starting on the 5th, technically, you roll into practice for the 13th. So he, and he'll still be able to do some individual drills you yeah, know, by himself, yeah. you know, movement, lateral yeah. movement, be able to you know, work on some yeah. of those things. And he'll be in all the film sessions, like you said. He'll be right. at, He's going to be on the field yeah. watching his guys and, and, and still trying to soak up what's going on. So I'm not right. worried there. Yeah, it's not like he's laid up at home with his arm up, you know, or anything like that. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. just the thumb. <laughs> just, so, just, just the broken thumb, you know. Right, and you know what's going to happen. <laughs> There's going to be a metal, some type of splint that they apply right. to it, or yeah. they're going to wrap his hand so that it doesn't bend. You know, right. We've seen every type of thing to get offensive linemen or defensive linemen on the field when they have hand injuries. So, yeah. I mean, the thing for Andrus has never been his hands. It's always been his feet. Right. When he doesn't have his feet moving, that's the problem for him. So, yeah. I think I would take this time again to start, break, you know, break just down that, that the technique. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, like spend you all your time working yeah. on technique, man. Just you don't yeah. have to get in contact, but you can work on that footwork, and, and they can you know put the pad on and work on you know whatever those things that he has to do. Yep. Um, they did add the Saints add a player um, after Josh Hill tweaks mm-hmm. something. They won't tell you what exactly <laughs> he tweaked. Classic Saints offseason, man. Yeah, he's got a tweak. So I'm guessing when you talk about tweaks, you're talking about either ankles, knees groin pulls yeah that's how i feel because that's the things that's gonna keep a tight end off the field to me right something right it's got to be a a lower half of your body injury yeah yeah Um, i would agree with that so in response they bring in ethan wolf 6'5 225 out of tennessee hasn't played in the nfl in a game yet was on practice squad last year um camp body or legit chance I think he's a camp body. He look the the Saints, and, and that's no offense to him because again, he could still end up on the practice squad and still end up on the team because of that, right? Like, so we can't underestimate these guys that are camp bodies. But I I don't think that he's somebody that comes in unless he has a fantastic, you know, camp and just blows everybody out the water. Like he would have to do a lot, uh, particularly at his his weight. Yes, it's really, very light. Yeah, light yeah, yeah. Uh, to really pull a a fifty three man roster spot, but. Here's the thing. The Saints, and this is, just, this is just another one of those things. The Saints have talked all offseason about how much they want to get, you know, more two tight end sets, more 12 personnel out there. They said that, and then immediately two tight ends withdraw from the team. Uh, they opt out. And then you have, you know, you move over Tommy Stevens to tight end. So that takes you from minus two to minus one. And then Josh Hill tweaks something. And so now you're back at minus two. So then they bring in Ethan Wolf. It gives them the, the personnel that they need so they can continue to run those two tight end sets at three, you know, three teams deep. Because if you, if you imagine Jared Cook and Adam Troutman with team wheel with the first team, right. you can probably go to Garrett Griffin and Tommy Stevens with the second team. And then you have either you know, one of those guys and Ethan Wolf with the second team, or maybe even Jawan Johnson and Ethan Wolf getting that kind of work as well. Although they've really liked Jawan Johnson on the outside. So, you know, they, they now have the personnel to where they can continue to run that type of system three teams deep and really get involved in what they're practicing and installing in a 12 personnel set. So it, it, but it's just one of those things, you know, the moment that you say, Oh yeah, no, we want to do this. Everybody gone, (laughs) everybody gone from the position. 
And the difference too is, like you said, the, the physical difference between him and Josh Hill. If mm-hmm. he's going to make any type of of chance, if he's going to have any kind of chance to make the roster. You better block his ass off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, big time. He's, he's going to have to, and he's going to have to show that he can contribute on special teams too. Special at that team, yeah. size, at six yes. five two twenty five, you better be able to get yeah. down the field yep. and make a play because you're expecting him to be a downfield tight end. You're mm-hmm. expecting him to be the kind of guy who is is going to stretch the middle. That's yep. if, if if that's who you're bringing in. That's that's basically an H back. A Shannon yep. Sharp type, where it's but his blocking no, is going to be the key. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's going to be a big thing for him if he if he's going to you know compete for a roster spot and everything. But I wouldn't be surprised if he just comes in as a you know a or guy to seen. help. Sort of, like I said, yeah. Get yeah, seen. yeah, yeah. You want to be put some good tape out there. Yeah, and maybe the Saints see him, and then they you know we, what we talked about earlier, like Mickey Loomis calls somebody up and says, "Hey, you should take a look at this kid." You know what I mean? Like yeah, that that's how you know, we're seeing Saints players get tryouts all over the place right now. Like Rashawn Hogan got a tryout not too long ago. We saw Tom Lee Lewis get signed with the Carolina Panthers. So you know it's it's not out of the ordinary. People at all. look at it successful was, teams and they yeah. take their players. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um. Okay, so let's move on to the quarterback battle. Yeah. Tamus, as it's Tamus. being called right now. The celebrity name out here. Celebrity but we names. see the first day, and to me, it's, 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 it's obvious. And you, you don't want to make it that way and say, well, it's done. Let's not talk about Taysom anymore. But the things you saw out of Jameis on day one show you the difference between a, someone who has played the quarterback position for every year of their life, essentially, and somebody who's still learning it, particularly at the NFL level. There were some back shoulder throws that Jameis made, Man. the downfield throws. The pick it wasn't on him. No. That was off the hands of the receiver. Mm-hmm. But you see the difference. And then you see the way Sean Payton effuses over him and says, I love his yeah. work ethic. The arm is live. These things. Man, he didn't have to do that. He doesn't have to come right. out and do that. It's just he could have said it's day one for Jameis. We like what we saw. No, that ain't Sean right. Payton. And if he says, I'm really impressed with this guy and his work ethic and how people are gravitating towards him and his presence and all, I'm excited for that. Yep. You already got Jared Cook cracking up on the on the podium too during Zoom calls because of some inside joke that's rolling around about Jameis coming into huddles and things like that. And the other thing that's really interesting to watch, I got here's here's my two things. First of all, in terms of coaches' comments as well as you know whether it's the coaches' comments or the players' comments that are around him, I love how much of the comments are driven towards the mental side of his game as well as uh, his work ethic, his personality, because- and his physical traits. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because you could see them default to, like you mentioned, saying positive things, but with a little bit more of a conservative approach. I know that everybody usually hears positive comments during training camp and they ask, well, what are they supposed to say? And there's some truth to that. But no matter what, they're going to say something positive, sure. But listen to what specifically they say and what specifically they talk about. Because when you hear uh, all the, you know, anytime that somebody asks a question about Taysom, the answer is never foundationally based upon his play as a quarterback it's always about whatever else he's bringing to the game him as an offensive weapon we're not going to use him as much on special teams it's always about everything there's so much more about him not playing quarterback than there is about him playing quarterback unless they're specifically asked a question that's geared towards him playing quarterback but eventually they always teeter into talking about his athleticism and you know what else he brings to the team 
Whereas with Jameis, everything is about, look, he's, you know, super smart, asking the right questions. Very, very, you know, um, I, I think one of the greater compliments that I saw came from Pete Carmichael earlier on in this offseason season where he talked about how he knows what it is that he wants to improve. And he's asking all the right questions to help get him there. All of that stuff is great. The second point, you look at these two quarterbacks, Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, one of them looks like they're trying to win a job. The other one looks like he's just straight up damn enjoying himself being in a new environment. And I guess you can look at that and maybe lean one way or another based upon whatever it is that you see. But I lean a little bit more to the guy that's comfortable. That's, you know, that's, you know, building a rapport with the players that are around him. That's communicating. That's having a good time. And that is also executing out on the field, but not having to do so, but not having to like, focus all of his concentration in order to do so. And so I think it's an interesting thing to watch the battle going on between the two of them, because maybe in Jameis's mind, there's no battle. I don't think that that there is for him. You know, you don't come in and say, I got a 5,000 yard season in my pocket. And this dude has thrown 13 passes in his career. Right. He belongs on my level. There's no way you're Jameis Winston or any starting quarterback worth your, you know, paycheck. Right. If you're looking over your shoulder at Taysom Hill, and that's not an insult to Taysom Hill. Not at all. But it's Jameis Winston. You know what I mean? This right. is Jameis Winston, the number one pick in the draft, a guy right. who's thrown for tons and tons of yards in his career and is just looking for stability, right. I think, and, and, and the chance to re- rehab his image. But there's one thing he knows to himself is, I can play this here game of football. Right. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And I, I mean – I think he's approaching it literally as if I'm the number one guy here Yeah, because yeah, he's yeah, yeah. thinking about next year. So his right. prep has to be at a number one level. Yep. And I honestly yep. believe that that's what he came in and that's what his approach is going to be. And I think that that's why he's already winning the locker room because they see that they see that right. he's not here to joke around. And I think he fits very nicely into that Teddy Bridgewater role of mm-hmm. being a conduit in the locker room. Yep. Um, but he does it in a different way. Jameis is a, a more of a jokey guy, a more, yeah. you know, he's a country Lovely. boy. Southern he's country. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm exactly. From Bessemer, Alabama. I know where he's from. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, my right. aunt was at his draft party, so yes. which was basically just a big old cookout and crawfish right. boil in Bessemer. <laughs> so he's a country boy. This is right. who he is. Right. So for him – being in, I think again, being in New Orleans is home for him in a lot of ways. It's, yeah. it's, it's, this is the c- culture that he is, is familiar with. Right. And I think that the, the, having this, again, you walk into the Saints building, and I think there's an expectation from the moment you hit the door that you have to be, you have to elevate yourself because the people from the, in the mail room to the front office have said, we have a commitment to winning. And I think that right. Jameis is probably feeling that organizationally for the first time in his career. Yeah. I mean, we saw what Nigel Bradham had to say. Nigel Bradham gone to the playoffs three straight years. The Philadelphia Eagles won a Super Bowl with him and said that they weren't a winning organization in comparison to the Saints. And so you have to imagine that Jameis Winston coming for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers has to feel that times, you know, whatever, you know, exponentially. He has to feel have that same type of feeling. And so I think it's exciting to watch. And, you know, we're only a day in, so it's hard to really evaluate in terms of what we're seeing on the field. But we can easily say that what we're seeing so far backs up our expectations that Jameis is going to be, you know, the guy coming in here. Again, you, you just – I'm going to always lean toward the guy that's got the starting NFL experience for five years 
over a small sample size in Taysom Hill and his better sample size coming from what he's done elsewhere on the field and everything. And again, as we've mentioned, like that's no, no insult to, to uh, Taysom Hill. It's just, what's the role that you've played before you showed up here? And how does that factor into your possibilities moving forward into the future here? Jameis is just in a, coming into it with a, a different set of criteria and perhaps a more applicable set of criteria. Um, one of the articles I, I read, and it wasn't on your side, but it's, it's something that came up is like, who's going to be the third option for the Saints? Is it either going to be Jared Cook or Emmanuel Sanders? Mm-hmm. And I think whoever wrote that does not understand that the Saints <laughs> don't work that way. Right. Yes. Like, it just doesn't work that way. They don't no. go into games – Outside of knowing, hey, we had to go to Mike Thomas because nobody else was catching the ball today. Right. But Sean Payton at his best, you don't know who the guy is going to be that day. You don't know which weapons are going to get accentuated because his feel is different than his plan. He comes into everything, yes, meticulously planned, but his feel from moment to moment in the game offensively, when it's at its best, you can't figure out where the Saints are coming from. Right. It's one of the reasons why back, you know, not, not too long ago, people didn't own, you know, in, in fantasy football, people didn't take Saints skill players because nobody know, knew who was going to pop off at any point in any game. I think now you're probably pretty set with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, but beyond that, you don't know who it is, who it's going to be day in and day out. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I looked at and I broke down the, uh, the wide receiver competition in particular today. And yeah, I've got five players that, makes sense behind Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders at the wide receiver position. But that doesn't make that third person the third option by any means because it can be Jerry Cook. It can be Taysom Hill. It can be Alvin Kamara or Emmanuel Sanders. It can be Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray was targeted 43 times last year, more than any other wide receiver outside of uh, Michael Thomas. And, 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 um, and Ted Ginn Jr. Ted Ginn Jr. had more targets than him. But he had more targets than the number three Number three, receiver. You never know. You just don't know. I think he had 43 targets last year about who it is that's, that's going to be that. In option. such limited work time, too. Right, right. That shows the so, volume of, of those kind of targets in him not getting the reps. Right. So, again, he's Sean Payton don't care. Right. There's going to be stretches of the season. If Ty Montgomery makes the roster as the third running back, that Ty Montgomery is going to be the third option. You don't know what, it, what it's going to be. It's such a tough question to answer, not because – you know, there's not enough talent. It's a tough question to answer because Sean Payton doesn't work that way. He just does not work that way. And so it's more so about having how many weapons can you have so that you can have those choices. Yeah, those choices. And I think that those choices aren't just starting at three. They start at one and two because sometimes Michael Thomas isn't the guy for a day. You know, sometimes it's Alvin Kamara. Sometimes it's going to be Jared Cook. Like the Jared Cook game plan for the Saints when they started off the game against the San Francisco 49ers was working beautifully up until the concussion. gets hurt, yeah. You know, and and Michael Thomas wasn't the top option there at the top of that game plan. It was a lot of 12 personnel, a lot of two tight end sets, and there was a big focus on uh, working with Jared Cook because of the struggles that the 49ers had against uh, against tight ends. And you're going to see that against – the Philadelphia Eagles, who don't have any linebackers on their roster. Right. You're going to see that against the, uh, the uh, Denver Broncos, who have a lot of young linebackers on their roster. Atlanta? See- Atlanta, yep. So I you're going to see that. There. Mm-hmm. You're going to see he- days to where Michael Thomas isn't even the number one option. That That's always going to be fluid. Carolina changes things, too, because they have yep. so many new players on their defense. I think Carolina's yep. returning a total of two starters on the whole team. 
Right. So, I mean, like, yeah, you're going to have these options. And then with no film, right. you're going to be game day adjustments. Yep. Again, who, who are the coaches best suited to do those things? So you're talking Sean Payton, Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, yep. people who do not just game plan for themselves. They game plan for the other opponent. Right. And what they do specifically. And I think that, the, you know, this is where – Sean Payton is going to separate himself. That's what you're counting on this year is his ability to adjust on the fly. Yep. Because yep. we're not going to know what – I mean, up until the first month of the season is done, you won't have any real idea of what teams are playing. Right. I mean, yeah. So it, I think it's good. that part, it's just so many interesting question marks in that regard of not knowing and having all these, these questions mm -hmm. um, about it. I do like, I do like the fact that Jameis has come out and you can see that he's not wasting time. You can see right. that um, again, the skills are evident. The things mm -hmm. that you wanted to see that there was accuracy, there was mm -hmm. timing. Um, and I think that it just, it, those are things you cannot learn in 17 days. You just can't right. give it. To, it would just be too much of a risk to put Taysom in that position um, mm -hmm. to have him as a two. I, so I think this competition was is based once camp got shortened, it was over before it started. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment too. Is 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 factoring that in because you didn't really get an opportunity to really ramp up um, Taysom Hill and then get him to a place where you're comfortable really seeing him compete. It, you just had to go in with what you had, essentially. I mean, you had the Zoom meetings and you had the virtual installs, but that's it. That's it. So it didn't really level the playing field for these two quarterbacks. And instead, all that you have is what are you coming in with? And then how does that build the relationship in terms of, you know, or, or in relation to what the roster looks like? And I think that that favors, I, I you know, it, it would be stupid of me not to say that that favors Jameis Winston entirely based upon what he's, you know, based upon his resume and what he's done and who he is. Because in a normal preseason if this had come in, you would expect Taysom Hill to have been on the field for at least 120 snaps right? over the course yep. of preseason because yep. he would be starting, you know, two games and Jameis probably would have started two with Breeze getting his third game in mm -hmm. and, and doing his one series and getting out. So, yeah, 120 – he needs the reps and he's just not going to get them. So, right. yeah, it's, let's move on from that. Um, the offensive line with the shift, the other question has been um, – We've seen both Ruiz and McCoy take snap, snaps at center, and they're mm -hmm. going to you know, see them both at center and guard, um, alternating uh, those opportunities for them. Uh, I, I think that that has to end relatively quickly. Yeah. Because at some point, yeah. you got to pick a guy. Yeah, and uh, you know, particularly with the way that this offseason is going, they've said that they're going to try to rotate them you know, every two days, every three days. But I think eventually – and we saw that this is exactly what happened with uh, Eric McCoy. They were, they were rotating Eric McCoy with Cameron Tom and Nick Easton, but they really only did that up until they got into training camp and then yep. it became Eric McCoy's ship. And now you, know, you didn't get OTAs. You didn't get many camps to be able to do that between McCoy and Ruiz now. And so I would imagine – and I, I could be just, you know, this is just taking a shot in the dark, but I would imagine that the most advantageous or most ideal situation is that by next week, yes. you know, who's going to be your guy and you roll with that, you know, yeah. if, if nothing else, if nothing just to else, get the reps, just to get them yeah. familiar with that spot, because for Ruiz, he's trying to just get himself together for a season. Right. So right. you don't want to overload him in that aspect and just be like, if he can, if he shows, he can handle center. 
let him be center and just don't look back unless right. you have failure once the season starts. But in these, like we're talking about how many practices maybe? I mean, real yeah, I practices. Mean, yeah, so, they've only got thirteen. They've only got thirteen padded practices left, or I guess after today, twelve padded practices left that they're allowed to use over this time. So, that's, you know, that's get him his work. Not a lot. Get him his work. Do you have concerns about um, Nick Easton? A lot of folks know, uh, you know, have issues um, with his performance from last season. Um, you know, he's he's probably the front runner right now to fill in. Mm-hmm. Uh, could the Saints manage if they had to go into the regular season and, and go a month, let's say, um, mm-hmm. just the worst case scenario uh, for Andrews Pete or something that just doesn't heal right or whatever? Could the Saints feel comfortable with Nick Easton at starter for a month? I don't know if they necessarily feel comfortable. I mean, I think that in any situation you want to have your starting five out there, of course. But I think that Nick Easton gives you an adequate enough option at that left guard position to continue to move forward. And I think that they would be – I think they would operate fine – I think you would see probably some issues in the run game in particular that you wouldn't see with Andrus Pete, who, you know, is quicker, who is a little bit lighter on his feet. And in particularly now with the weight drop and everything that he's bringing in and, and the new sort of frame and build, you certainly would have seen him be a little bit more fleet footed this season. So I think that there are certain aspects where you're going to see a bit of a drop off, but for the most part, like they'll find ways to continue to make sure that, you know, the saints really build their protections in such a way that if they need to help somebody at, at any point, they can, I think there's a good reason. That's a good reason that you didn't see Nicky said take the center position because he's not super strong when he was playing center that season with the uh, Minnesota Vikings I think it was 2017 they had to give him a double team every time he snapped the ball had a double team it was it was just a staple of that offensive line you don't have to worry about that as much at the left guard position because there's not the transfer of balance transfer of weight that comes from snapping the ball and then engaging you can just engage. You can reset your center of gravity. The biggest thing is just about making sure that your feet are disciplined and that your hand placement is is appropriate. And I think that if the Saints can can help with that and make sure that they they help him, you know, not let a guy like Vita Vea get under him or not let a guy like you know uh, Jason Pierre Paul come in off of a, a stunt and 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 you know work him. You know, I think there could be certain things that they'll definitely be able to try to help him out with by giving him that center help, giving him that left tackle help. You know, but for the most part, those combo blocks and things, but for the most part, I don't think you're going to see a huge, huge, you know, uh, you're not going to see them suffer greatly just because they went in with Nick Eason as opposed to Andrus Pete. Considering what this Saints team has done with lesser offensive linemen and more important spots in the past, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, you know what I mean? And still be able to create an offense that works, that churns, that moves the ball. And, you know, Drew Brees is going to help there because he wants to get the ball out of his hand two and a half seconds into the snap anyway. So that's going to be helpful, you know, using that short passing game that they have, the intermediate passing game that they have, utilizing those short passes and the flats as an extension of the run game. All that's going to be helpful to help them uh, work either to the opposite side of the field or just work early enough in their play clock that it doesn't cause an issue with having Nick East in there as opposed to Andrew Speed. It also, brings the fo- for it. it also brings the focus back to the running backs and their ability to pick up the blitz. Yes. And that has yep. been a shortcoming for Alvin Kamara, mm-hmm. um, something that he has had needs to work on still. Yep. Um, so I think that, again, we've talked about utilizing Latavius Murray more. He yep. is a good pass blocker. He is mm-hmm. a very solid pass blocker yep. and showed that in Minnesota and has showed that uh, in his career. Um, so – he becomes more important and it becomes more important for Alvin Kamara to, to, to read those opportunities because he may not get to leak out on those calls because he's got to uh, keep his awareness on 
that outside on the left and seeing if they're, if guys are getting beat. So that extra second that he may be able to provide or, or half second that he can provide breeze at this stage is going to be critical. Yeah. Another guy that'll factor into that too, or at least this will factor into a decision that's being made about him is Ty Montgomery, who is also a very good pass protector. And if you have a route to where you want to do, you know, a check chip and go for your, your running back out the backfield, perhaps Ty Montgomery is better built for that than Alvin Kamara is right now, at least early on in the season. And, you know, Ty Montgomery has shown he can do that very well. And so it'll be, yeah, I think that that's going to be something to watch for him. And then as well as, you know, what do they do at the fullback position? Do they keep Michael Burton, who's also a very good pass blocker, also a very good lead blocker and good special teamer? Or does that spot end up deteriorating in favor of keeping, you know, a fourth tight end or an additional wide receiver or an additional running back, right? What exactly happens? Do the Saints go the way of the rest of the NFL or not the rest of the NFL, but the majority of the NFL in sort of liquidating that fullback position as a specific focus and then, you know, fill it with guys like Taysom Hill, Tommy Stevens, Josh Hill, depending upon who it is that ends up making the roster or, you know, and, and how does that factor into? I mean, that? you can even feel comfortable with Murray being the fullback. Too. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Use him you in know, those, uh, those I right type situations yeah, where you have a tight absolutely. end in line. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen it before where you put two essentially the same backs in the back, yeah. you know, or one, your bigger back with your, your more fleet back because mm-hmm. you still have the option of, of either one of them being a threat. And I think that for the saints, again, that versatility to have the option of if Murray's the lead blocker, and right. if he's, and you see something at the line and you're able to adjust and you turn him into an outside threat now, right. you know, either or even as a runner, if you say, oh, well, we can run the draw and give it to Latavius in this situation and let him go. Or we yep. can get him out in the flat right now because they're playing over, too far over to the, you know, a certain side of the field. Man, mm-hmm. that ability, I think, again, the, he can be fun- he can function almost as a fullback or a tight end in, yeah. in that regard because of his yeah. size. Yeah, the guy's six foot three, right? So if you line him up as a, let's say, a fullback on an eye formation, and then you play action to Alvin Kamara, and he's the lead blocker, that gives him an open spring to get up the sideline. And you know he's, you know, he's improved very much as a receiving back. As we mentioned, he got forty three targets from the Saints out of the Saints offense last year, more than any third wide receiver that was there. And so, you know, if you leak him up the sideline, does he end up becoming a downfield threat? <laughs> you know, in assist in, in something like that. We saw that play at least three or four different times from uh, teams around the NFL utilizing either a tight end as a fullback or utilizing a true fullback in their offense, creating that opportunity for that lead blocker or lead blocker on a a play action. Could we see something like that for Latavius Murray? I would think so. Yeah. And you have very solid run blocking receivers too. I mean, uh, um, pass blocking receivers who can create once he gets downfield, who can hold their blocks. Emmanuel Sanders comes from a, a line of teams that expected their receivers to block. In Pittsburgh, yep. receivers have to block. When he yep. went to San Francisco, receivers have to block. When he was yep. in Denver, receivers yep. had to block. So I have no worries about the outside, at least, of guys. And Mike Thomas is going to engage anybody doing anything. We yeah. know that. So he doesn't yeah. – I, that, I think that, that that's, block – that block that he held downfield in the Carolina game for Taysom Hill is still one of my favorite moments because he's by himself out there just holding that block probably about 10 yards before Taysom Hill is even in range. And he was already locked in. He was already on his guy. And he held that block for a long time without causing any type of downfield penalty or anything like that. That's still one of my favorite plays from him because it's just selfless. It's just selfless. And, and it shows that he's a football player. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just like Taysom Hill. <laughs> yeah. Play football. You know, I mean, no matter what you, how professional you are, at the end of the day, a football player, 
is or any athlete, you do what you got to do. And yeah, and MT will do what he's got to do. I, I, I so oh, much that's faith for sure. In him. Yeah, that's for sure. Can you give an update on Kiko Alonso's condition um, and 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 just how they feel about him and and his potential availability going forward uh, this this season and, and even his position um, in the starting lineup? How do you know? Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like? I mean, I think you know. To me, Bradham is a huge threat there. I know he just got there in the building, but I think Bradham. And then it seems like they want Zach Bond. They're playing him with the first unit. Um, I think those that's your three at this point. Yeah, I think it's a really uh, yeah. So, so let's start with Kiko Alonso. Kiko Alonso, of course, this is the third ACL tear he's had in his football playing career. Second time in the right knee. He had a right knee ACL tear. I can't remember what year it was. I'm sorry, but it was when he was in college at Oregon. And then he had a left knee ACL tear, I believe, when he was with the Bills in 2014. I believe he was mm-hmm. still with the Bills at that time. So the guy is just – and then now this one, right, which happened in – let's not forget, this happened in the playoffs too. So it takes a while for these injuries to heal, especially in a situation where you've re-injured a knee like this. And so right now he's on the physically unable to perform list, which means that he wasn't able to pass his physical coming into camp. And so far, he hasn't worked his way off of that. We've now seen Johnson Batamosi, who also started on PUP. We've seen him work his way back now, but we haven't seen it for Kiko Alonso just yet. I know that there was a report out from Brian Bienemy today that potentially the situation is that his, his ACL isn't healing the way that they had thought and that there's no present timetable for his return, which could be big for him because, look, if he doesn't get off the PUP list before the season begins, it's, cut. It, it's, it's, it's over for him. It's really and he also took an he also took a pay cut this offseason at that. So it makes it really, really challenging because there is a time limit, quote unquote, for him to make his return. You know, and it could work out for the Saints because they could also re-sign him after week one and then all of a sudden his salary is not guaranteed. So there's a there, you know, there, there's a lot of different options for him. Just even if that doesn't work out, there's no there's nothing to say that he won't end up on the team, right? Oh, yeah, he's he definitely going to be on the, the short list of phone calls yes, if he exactly. does, if something does happen and he's yeah. not available. But yeah. what do you think but, about that uh, starting trio, trio of mm-hmm. Bond, um, uh, Demario Davis, and uh, Bradham? Yeah, I think that it's a, it's. I, I like that lineup a lot because you essentially can work. You can have Nigel Bradham, who is somebody that has worked as a middle linebacker for years now with philadelphia he took over that middle linebacker role i think in 2017 yeah yeah yeah, when when jordan hicks got hurt and so he stepped into that role it might have been 2016 and so he stepped into that role played that very well he carries vertically in in deep zones and cover two as like in tampa two situations he carries vertically up the sideline i'm sorry up the middle of the field very very well and he can carry some of those tight ends up the up the uh, up the seam really well. He can get involved in uh, with running backs out the passing game. The thing that you miss with him though is his play in the run game. His play in the run game is very much like I've got lane integrity. I'll fill my I'll fill the hole. I'll get where I need to get. But he's not often engaged in tackles near the line of scrimmage. And so you know, with the Saints be having such a focus on good run defense. Is that something that you don't like to see from him? Or are you willing to sacrifice the run defense, which isn't, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the run defense, which isn't necessarily preventing points on the board, as opposed to getting a boost in the passing defense on the back end, which has put a lot of points on the board against the Saints. So that's something to consider with him. He would have to beat out Alex Anzalone to take that middle linebacker spot. I know that the Saints really like Anzalone there, so we'll see what happens with, with that competition. However, 
Bradham could slip into the Sam linebacker role. That's what I was thinking. Well. Yeah, yeah. He could slip into that in place of Kiko Alonso, give them another bona fide coverage linebacker. And then you're going to get out of a lot. I'm sorry, excuse me, out of Bradham, pretty much the same run defense that you got out of AJ Klein. They grade very similarly. Their stats are ranked very similarly. Their run stop percentage is very similar. So you don't really lose anything in terms of what you've had there before. We really only saw Kiko Alonso play maybe 84 run snaps yeah. in, 2000, in 2019. And so certainly he graded highly there, but it was also a much smaller sample size, much easier to grade highly there, easier to grade poorly there too. Don't get me wrong, but a little bit easier to grade high. And so you will get a little bit of a drop off in terms of what you would see from Kiko Alonso's production in the run game. But again, are you willing to sacrifice that to have a third coverage linebacker out on the field, knowing that you have two other linebackers in Anzalone and of course, Mario Davis that can be active in the run game and a really solid defensive line, you know, a really yes. solid front four of down linemen that can take care of the run game at the line of scrimmage. You've also got good run support in your corners. Cause you've got a pair of corners now that can tackle very well and can get involved in the run game. And then of course, CJ or, or CD deuce, who's going to be, you know, close to the line of scrimmage as a slot corner that can also be a factor there. Even if it's PJ Williams, very good run defender, Malcolm, Malcolm Jenkins, Jenkins, you can exactly. bring him up in the box yeah. and, and let him do his thing. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind it because, again, the Saints as a unit have been so good against the run the last two mm-hmm. seasons. And you said even with linebackers who necessarily weren't great in their positions, it's, it comes down to the front four. So when we talk about the front four with um, Davenport and Rankins, mm-hmm. they healthy coming in. Can yeah. they stay healthy throughout? That's so, the big – yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and for both of them – this is make or break. Yeah. I mean, all the talent that they have, the two of them are as talented as any lineman in the league. Um, but th- they have to be consistent. They have to be present. They have to be there. And, and, and I think that if they are there, the Saints can be a top five defense across the board. And that's one mm-hmm. thing we talked about last week was that they yeah. wanted to be top five across the board. And that is dependent on the, the health of that D-line. Everywhere else, I'm comfortable pretty much because I don't think even you, whoever you pair with DeMario Davis, I think he'll figure out how to, to get them in position to do, it, yep. do their jobs. Yep. The secondary like, is enough experience and enough talent that as long as they're getting consistent pressure up front, they'll be able to do their job well. And even in those situations where they don't, I have, you have confidence in a Marcus Lattimore. Um, you have confidence, to, you know, I mean, in these guys to do their jobs. Yep. And, and it's, but it comes down to if the defensive line can't hold up the middle and give Cam Jordan opportunities to pass rush, can't, you know, create second and longs, that's the season. That, yep. That's what the season is all about defensively. Yep. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. The, the other guy at the linebacker position that's worth mentioning uh, you know, or going a little bit deeper on is, is Zach Bond, as you mentioned earlier. He's somebody that I think is really interesting because you can work him in as a Sam linebacker role in early downs to where he's a part of He's going to be great and active in the run game. Uh, his size might be a little bit of a barrier for him, but if he's able to utilize his quickness and his, his agility to get involved in tackles, then you'll certainly see that. And in particularly as well, just in terms of taking care of you know, the flats and, and, and passes out the backfield, but then you can take him off the field on, you know, nickel sets where he doesn't have to be relied upon in a downfield coverage role or a middle of the field coverage role, but then you can keep him on the field because you can put him into, let's say a NASCAR package. You move uh, Marcus Davenport inside, take David Onyemata off the field, 
or Sheldon Rankins off the field. And then you put Zach Bond in at that other edge rusher position. And then you can take advantage of his skill set, uh, not only the skill set they're working to develop, but the skill set that he also brings in from Wisconsin. So I think he's really intriguing to see exactly how they're going to work with him, not only as an off ball linebacker, but where they find places to use him as a specialized or designated pass rusher. Oh, yeah, and I think that they're going to move him around with that pass rush too, give him opportunities mm-hmm. to attack up the middle, you yep. know, and try to, to, to con- give him straight lanes uh, yep. to the passer and allow him to like, just do it, what he does best is get up the field and, yeah. and use that athleticism. Yeah. If I'm Zach Bond, I am in DeMario Davis's pocket immediately, not just because he's DeMario Davis, but his comments uh, last week, I think it was early last week, might have been late the week before, it's where he talked about seeing the field the same way that a basketball player sees the basketball court in terms of getting to a spot so that he has a direct lane. I am in his pocket 100% saying, teach me. <laughs> because that's, gonna, that, that's something that would work really well for Zach Bond with his size and his quickness to be able to take advantage of offensive lines based upon that type of an approach. And he's going to have to learn how to put his hand in the dirt too. Yes. He's going to have to do it. And, yeah. and that's yeah, going yeah. to be the big transition for him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, th- like you said, if he lines up in those NASCAR packages and has to get down into in that three-point stance, can he get up quickly enough and, and, and get that move? Because he's going to have – you know, again, it's not about the move, first move in the NFL. It's about the counter because there are yes. enough offensive linemen who are going to figure out your rip. They're going to figure out your bull rush, and they're yep. going to know it's coming. And if you don't have that second, you don't have that counter, that spin, the rip, whatever, you, whatever it is yep. to get you loose – uh, so again, I'd be talking to Cam Jordan and Demario Davis all the time. Yeah, yeah. What about your hand placement? What do you do to get off the to shed a blocker in the NFL? What does it require? You know, and that's where I'd be. Like you said, every day after practice, mm-hmm. I'm just soaking that in. I'm listening. I'm yeah. saying, guys, can we go sit in the film room longer and you show me what what I need to do? Because right. or I just you know I think that and I, I think that he has that kind of work ethic, or else the Saints don't draft him where they do. 100. percent Um. One of the other things I want to talk about um, when we talk about this, the snaps as we go through this across the board, how much is the emphasis is Sean Payton going to put on getting guys rest daily versus trying to squeeze all the work in um, aggressively? Yeah, it's a, it, it, that's, that's a really good question because, all right, so these are three and a half hour practice sessions. The 90 minute, limit can be pushed by 15 90 minute limit of padded practices and contact practice can be extended by 15 minutes up to an hour up to two hours up to 120 minutes so you can't go beyond two hours of contact but i'm curious to see if the saints ever really push beyond that 90 minutes or if they just work for the 90 minutes and then instead of adding that extra half hour of contact that they still keep the remaining what is that two hours for walkthroughs, film work, things like meetings, things like that. So I, well, not really meetings because they have to do those virtually, but you know what I mean? Keeping all that time. So that's one way that they go about it. The other way they go about it is making sure that, you know, certain players get rest and certain players might not, you know, I mean, look, they're, they're packed all the way to the brim with 80. Technically they have 81 because they need to make another corresponding move with that Ethan Wolf signing. Right. And I've been checking every now and then to see if I can find it. They've done it yet. I haven't seen anything just yet, but, um, when it comes down to that, I think a big part of it is making sure that, you know, you've got those 80 guys as opposed to 90. So it allows you to get a better look at, you know, a, a percentage of those players that maybe would have to shift out with those other 10. Those 10 players don't make a big difference in terms of COVID numbers, that's for certain. But in terms of evaluation, it does help. I mean, it helps more than it hurts because you're able to see some of those other guys toward the bottom of the roster more than you get the opportunity to. So I think that you're going to see a lot of rest in terms of, you know, 
look, I imagine Drew Brees is going to get some rest days. I imagine that Cam Jordan is going to get some rest days. Probably Thomas Morstead as well. They have Blake Gillikin in the undrafted free agent punter out of uh, Penn State who is hit. He's insanely good, by the way. Insanely good. Um, why have the Saints have had so – why have they had – it's weird. Some uh, franchises have a tremendous amount of luck at getting certain positions, and the Saints have always drafted punters well. Going back to Tommy really Barnard, yep. I'm talking about Saints have always had very solid yeah. punters, and yeah. that, that's crazy. It's, it's just <laughs> one of those weird things that they yeah. draft punters well. They have a really – they have a much better – they have much more luck with punters than they did with kickers for a while. A string of kickers – early on in Sean Payton's or before Will Lutz, not even early, but just all the way through the Sean Payton era up until Will Lutz was wild. He was, was like, and Sean Payton was like Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> you missed your missed done. Out of here. And my, my fiance knew that. Like if we were watching a game and a kicker missed, she was like, was Sean Payton going to cut him? It's like, yeah, 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 he's probably gone. You're absolutely right. Like, and, oh, you got us to the Super Bowl. Well, yeah. now you miss a kick. See you. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> that little security guard from uh, last day. Uh, like, it's, it, it's crazy. And, and I love the fact that, that they have that. Because, look, Thomas Morstead has you know, a few more years left on his contract. Don't get me wrong, but he's nearing the end of his you – know, he's been in, the, he's been in the, the league since the Saints won the Super Bowl. You know? And so it's been a little bit that he's been around. And so it's good to have that extra guy. The other thing is that Gillikin – the special teams roles for teams need to have some backup somewhere right now. Yes. You have to have a guy that can kick and can punt, right? You got to have a guy that can do all those things or, you know, an extra punter and another kicker or whatever. And the Saints have that in Blake Gillikin, which is great. And I assume he'll be a practice squad guy that they'll be able to elevate if needed. I think that's a smart move for them. The, but sorry, I went off on a whole tangent. No, no, no. But, but you know, Thomas Moore said somebody that could eventually get some rest. Uh, same thing for potentially Will Lutz as well. Uh, so I think that you will see a nice balance of rest for vets, but you're going to see a lot of work for the young guys because A, they need to be able to evaluate them. B, there's 10 fewer players to evaluate, so there's more time to really get eyes on them. So they'll take advantage of that. Uh, and I think that that's going to be a big part of the factor. But you'll certainly see veterans get rest and then more of those younger guys continue to push and, and get working. Yeah, because I mean, in 120 minutes – even at the pace that the Saints practice at, which is very quick, very mm-hmm. determined. You know, they, um, uh, I, I just, yeah, you have to change the number of reps so much. Um, it's like you said, to evaluate those guys who are going to be so vital in creating your depth. Mm-hmm. And when you have those question marks, I, the one thing we do know is that Sean Payton does not waste any of his time. No. So the, whatever is going to happen in practice, I would at least have the trust in him at this stage. He's earned that to, to say however he handles this will likely be the best available option to him. Right. Yeah. How, how has been your impression? I mean, it's one day, but mm-hmm. in the way the Saints handled day one of the media and the access, what were your thoughts just on the setup, the ability to ask questions, the limits on the time to ask mm-hmm. questions, all those things, um, and, and the, the availability of film? Um, you know, as well. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on how day one went? Yeah. So day one wasn't too bad. I, I didn't have too much of an issue with it. I mean, I'm still, I'm basically coming in with this as the normal, whereas, you know, some of these other folks like Kat and, and Nick and Larry and, and even uh, Rod, of course, they're coming into it and it's a huge change for me. I'm coming in and like, this is, this is what the standard is right now. But I have to say that, you know, as somebody that 
teaches online, that does a lot of Zoom conferences, that has meetings online all the time, that the way that they've handled all, oops, sorry, the way that they've handled all this so far with getting this media access has actually been pretty nice. And, and you know, getting questions in is, is fairly simple. Um, everybody, everybody usually gets a swing if they have a question, which is nice. Um, you're usually looking at about somewhere between seven to 14 minutes is how much time you, you know, under 15 minutes is usually the time that you're going to be getting with everybody. Sean Payton's first one, I think was like seven and a half minutes and then he was out bunch of short answers and not a surprise, but yeah, I mean, it was after the first day of camp. He's like, we got, he probably saw a lot of things that he needs to fix, honestly, because it was first day of camp. Like, of course, he's never happy anyway. Yeah. 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 Even if things are going well, he's not going to come out and act like, I'm satisfied with what the guys. Right. Right. And then, you know, um, Cam Jordan came out for his first one and, you know, had a lot of fun and everything like that. They got, he's just such a, he's just so much levity that comes into the, that comes into a space with Cam Jordan. And you love that. Um, Drew Brees is really open. I think that the thing that's really nice about this is that for the players and for the coaches, it's not, it doesn't feel like people are encroaching on your space, you know? And, And I know that that's such a, that might sound like a dumb thing to say, but it does help open up more answers. Drew Brees, he talked for maybe a solid two minutes about Benny Fowler. He was asked about Benny Fowler and he just vomited all about him and everything. And you love to see that because obviously he feels very comfortable with the guy and he likes him. But you have to wonder if maybe standing outside in the sun with a bunch of cameras on you and phones in your face, if maybe he wouldn't have gone as deep. You know what I mean? And maybe Drew Brees might have because he's used to it. He's been doing this for a very long time. But you know, Nigel Bradham being open enough to talk about, you know, to just basically come out there and, you know, talk crap about his two old teams and everything, yeah. one of which he won a Super Bowl with. Is he that comfortable with, you know, a bunch of phones and microphones in his face as opposed to looking at a computer? You know, we talk all the time about how just operating behind a screen changes your approach. Are we seeing that with these players as well who are who feel a little bit more open and maybe a little bit more comfortable than they might in a different situation? So that part's been nice. The WVUE pool's been outstanding. They've done a really good job at getting uh, film, getting it uploaded and, and shared to everybody so that you know we can see that, we can share that, we can put that out. That's all been great. The the Saints have done a very good job creating a media pool of all of the, you know, of, of the materials and everything as well that they have access to. And so the sharing of information so far has been really good. The only thing that's different is, you know, the, the big thing is that you're not getting updates live while practice is going. Right. You have to wait until it's over with. And I think that that's kind of the biggest part that is, that is a big change. But so and these far are edited with, clips, too, when you get them. It's not right. – are y'all getting yeah. – you're not getting the raw footage. They're like, they're like little, like, you know, they could be like a five-second clip, a ten-second right. clip. They're just – you know, it's a cameraman picked one place and focused on it for like one rep and then – cut it. You know what I mean? So it's not like they're taking it and then they shoot a whole, you know, series on the wide receiver group. And then, right. Exactly. Exactly. And then chop it down. It's just literally whatever it is that cameraman happens to point at and catch. That's what we're getting. So it's raw in that sense, but it's not raw. Like there's all of this ample footage that we have available. It's still very finite. Is there a way that maybe the media could come to some consensus and, and potentially ask the saints, uh, media department, the communications department, as to say, hey, these are some of the basic shots, no matter who's shooting, mm-hmm. that we'd like to have each day. We, you know, we, we'd like to see this group or we'd like, we'd like to get enough footage of this to be able to make some comparisons. Do you think that the Saints would be open to that and just offering some basic minimums and communicating those to whoever has the responsibility that day of filming practice? 
Well, the good news is that the people that are, are, are gathering this footage that gets shared to everybody is WVUE. So it's the, it's the, it's the uh, news station. So, well, you know, you can go. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that you might not necessarily have to go directly to the Saints gotcha. to make that kind of request. You know, like Sean Facende, who works there, could say, yo, give me a shot of this because I want to see this. You know what I mean? So maybe there's a little bit more of a streamlined connection that allows them to do that. So I don't know that it's necessarily something that would be put in directly through the Saints, but certainly I'm sure, you know, if you reached out to, you know, either the individual cameraman that's there or even through Sean, that they would be able to put that type of a, uh, Vicente, by the way, not, not Sean Payton, my bad. Uh, they'd be able to put that type of request in. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's something that that, that uh, the media folks should look at and maybe mm-hmm. try to find something because you're going to have angles that you want to see. There are right. things that as you're writing for the rest of camp, you want to be able to back up what you're talking about through video. Exactly. And I think that there's going to be points where you say, can we get an extra focus just on Zach Bond today? Yep. Can you, can you give me five to 10 snaps of just Zach Bond? Today? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think no, those you're are right. reasonable requests to make when you have such a limited number of folks who have access to the field. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. If, if writers now, aren't out there taking pictures and video because they don't have the time. They're, they're yeah. thinking about their story and composition so if they're around and able to do that, but I do think also your point about football players in particular mm-hmm. being more comfortable doing the Zoom setting, mm-hmm. basketball players I find are less talkative in mm-hmm. Zoom settings mm-hmm. because they're used to, I think, that mm-hmm. conversational part of it right? and seeing you. Whereas mm-hmm. NFL players don't care. You're, you're, it's like right. a name. You're, you're, it's a faceless void for the lot of it. Like you said, they're just surrounded and there's a strong and they have their yeah. relationships with certain reporters. That doesn't bother them. But I think you're right. If you give that, you can do something different in a Zoom where you leave it blank and there's no other sound. There's, mm-hmm. you don't, there's no other reporter jockeying for position in the moment of your answer. Mm-hmm. so you're allowed to kind of let your mind go and the rest of the group is on mute so yep. nobody else is talking over and trying to get in I think it, for football players that is going to be a very interesting dynamic to see what you get from them loose tongue with these calls and then how it changes once the season begins mm-hmm. and you're trying to get post-game assessments from Zoom in that regard because then do they become right. more guarded again yeah. in those post-game situations because you're not there to be to, – to, to even get a detailed follow-up when you have a great question mm-hmm. is you may only get that one opportunity and have to wait back in turn to get a second question, and by then yep. you've lost that, that thought. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They have done a really good job with allowing uh, follow-up questions, I will say, which has been nice. That was one thing that I was concerned about. I know that that's a small detail, but that's something it's that I was concerned detail. about is that, you know, if you're yeah. – entering into an order for these questions, how are we going to respond to somebody that asks a question and then they answer it in a particular way and they say, oh, I have a follow-up to that. How is that? And people have been able to just jump in and say, I have a follow-up question to that. And then that's actually been a really smooth process. I thought that that might get a little jumbly, uh, but thankfully that's actually gone pretty well. So people are able to really flesh out for the detail that they're looking for on particular answers as long as the player or the, the, the person that's being interviewed is uh, receptive to it. How many are they allowing on the Zoom calls right now? Uh, I don't know the exact number. I'm sorry. I don't know the exact number. I mean, I know, I'm just trying I know to there's get quite a, Yeah, I know that there's quite a few folks that are on there, though. Like, just thinking about the names that we've heard and thinking about the people who... You know, I'm thinking about the voices that I've heard and everything. 
um, you got quite a few people that are Junkie. unusuals. Yeah, because when we did the Pelicans, you couldn't see the list of everybody who's on. You couldn't swipe or anything like that. To Not see always, yeah. So, yeah, yeah so they, 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 they mostly closed that down. So, yeah. Um, but it's, I'm sure that they're, you know, we know the interest is going to be ridiculous from around the league this season with the Saints. They are one of the most high-profile teams in the league. And, again, with Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and then the division, everything that will be focused there. Um, New Orleans is, once again, going to be a hotbed in one way or another for people trying to get coverage. Yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be a very exciting spot. And I think that, you know, the big, one of the big things, and we've talked about it many times that I'm waiting to see is what happens when a national, you know, what happens when NFL Network drops off at, you know, on airline and uh, gets into camp? How does that affect you know, other folks. I know for a fact that there are people that have, that are going to be a part of like literally being at practice that those people, that there are people that are up there into the teens that are local media. So that's good. That is good. Amount, Cause that was yeah. our concern was that right. you just weren't going to get enough of those local folks to give you diverse thoughts and opinions of what they see. So yeah, right. I'm, I'm, that's good to see that they've gotten into the double digits on folks there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I am glad to see that, but I'll be interested to see, you know, how things turn when NFL Network says, hey, we're coming to town. And if that's already planned or if that is one of those, you know, two days in advance type of a thing and then how that affects local coverage. And game week access. Yeah. This game week access is something that I'm still really interested to see how, how they're working that out because we don't have full details on that yet. Uh, I think that there have been some things that have come out, but I think that that's still part of the game day protocols that they're still, you know, allowing to be fluid and everything, which is understandable. Like no yeah. reason not to at this point. You still got time. Right. To figure those yeah. nuances out. Yeah. The, the, I think that's the one thing is that the NBA did get a week of run-throughs. Yes. Essentially to yeah. kind of tweak the product and say, okay, this is what we didn't do well in TV presentation. This is how we can make the games more home-based. They mm-hmm. added in the, the virtual fans and those types of things. So, I mean, you know, the NBA was able to do that on the fly. You almost have to say that the NFL has a, a, a better opportunity because you go a week between games and mm-hmm. you have more time to say, okay, let's figure this out because we don't have a game tomorrow to present on television. Um, and that will be interesting. The one thing I want to close on, though, mm-hmm. if the NFL has to play on Saturdays this year, oh man, it legitimately takes an act of Congress to allow that. Yeah. And they have not gone and petitioned for that yet. And I would imagine that TV companies who that have rights to college football and are watching their, those Saturdays become open are going to ask the NFL to fill in those time spots. Yep. CBS is going to say, we need you in those time spots. That, the, yep. that ESPN is going to say, we're used to showing Big Ten at noon on Saturday. We can't do it. We need NFL football. Yep. And you can, I mean, I, I could see the NFL going to like a triple header Saturday type of a schedule to where you have the, you know, the 12 o'clock, uh, the 12 o'clock, the 3.30, the 7.15, you know what I mean? And going to that type of a structure, central time, uh, going to that type of a structure on Saturdays. And I think that they would do it. I, I don't think that, and I think that most people would buy into it. I think that maybe it might cause a little bit of issue for some of the players that are, okay, great. That's one less day of prep that we now get. But, but if you're alternating time, it from Saturday to Sunday, you don't play exactly. two consecutive, you know, Saturdays like that. Yep. Then Yeah. And it's a different, you know, there's a big difference between having a lineup of three games on a Saturday versus moving your know, lineup of seven to a Saturday or, you know, something like that to where you're, you're taking over a smaller portion to where fewer teams end up doing that more than once. 
And so I think you have that. And then you also have, I would imagine the option for flex scheduling for within those Saturday games late in the season, you know, the 1 PM Saturday game could move to the primetime game, things like that. With but a you, couple as of, long uh, as there is, I could see something just... like that happening, depending upon which networks get which one. And as long as you're in a situation with no fans, you can be as flexible as you want. You know right. I mean? I don't have to worry about people's tickets. I don't have to worry about them rescheduling in those times. If I say I want to put the saints on a Saturday instead, because we've got a hole in programming mm-hmm. and I can do that. You know yep. I mean? If you're the NFL, as long as there's no fans in the building, I don't have to worry about any reinforcement. I don't have to worry about any rain checks. I'm good. So yep. the NFL has that ability. And, like, and if you are doing three games on a Saturday and the rest of your full schedule on a Sunday, what you're also doing is giving fans an option to see teams that they've never seen before potentially. Right. Whereas you're lucky on those regular days, like, okay, we got two or three games on Sunday, but I know pretty much every week which teams I'm going to see. Right. Now you're adding three games. And you're, uh, certainly on Saturdays, you'd want to have one of those be a very big game for your prime time. Mm-hmm. And then you try to give spotlight to those other teams that maybe haven't gotten shine. Young yeah. players like a Kyler Murray, you give him a noon slot or right. a 3 p.m. slot on a Saturday when over the course of the year, the only time we watched him play re- really was when he played against Saints. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's the thing about those spots is that they all become prized because in every situation, if you're only rolling one of those games on that triple header, and even if you go to three different networks to do it, those are all national televised games. Those are all games that have no competition with them because there's no Saturday football otherwise. And so, and the other thing is that would allow people to buy into that is that that's new TV money. And that would certainly help the salary cap situation for next year. I don't know that it, you know, puts it to a point where they can go ahead and go up to the projected 208, $215 million, but it could get them a little bit closer to where they were this season at 198, which would help a lot of NFL clubs out. Yes. Because it, it would offset the Thursdays. Right, you know, because I, I, I just the Thursdays oh, are so bad. <laughs> and, and I would rather, much rather see them take over the Saturdays um, and try to do that where there's not going to be college football because mm-hmm. that opportunity is so ripe for them. Oh and yeah, I think that they they need that in a, in some regard because I think you know you talk about the statements that maybe that Mark Cuban made a couple years ago that there is for every business there reaches a point where you better figure out how to start challenging and, and, and creating something new and the yep. NFL generally has been kind of stagnant in its presentation mm-hmm. and the way it relates to fans. And I think that's why you're seeing overall, you've seen attendance go down over the last mm-hmm. few years in the NFL, even though they've been able to generate more money, it's, they need to get back to the point where you have a more diverse interest across the league and you're right. not just following your team and you end up regionalized like baseball to some extent. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What are y'all working on at Christmas City? Um, sorry. I'm, ch- I'm nah, going to cut that shut out. up. <laughs> what are y'all working on over at Canal Street Chronicles? And how is this, now that training camp is in, what's the focus changed to in the way that y'all approach stories and select them? Yeah, we're having a lot of fun right now because now, you know, we're in for the Zoom calls and everything. And so it gives us an opportunity to, you know, put up new pieces that are about, you know, the, the questions that we're asking and everything. We, you know, I had a, um, I had a article go up the yes, yeah, yesterday morning or this morning. I can't remember anymore. All my days are running together, but uh, about, you know, both Coach Payton and uh, Drew Brees spoke about Tommy Stevens' transition 
transition from quarterback to tight end and, and what that's done so far and how he's been doing. So being able to put out some more sort of articles that have a little bit more insight than what we've been able to do in the past, because we're getting to ask our specific questions and get the specific information that we're looking for. So that's improving the quality of the work for us, for sure, and giving us a lot of new material to continue to churn stuff out. So we have all of that. We're continuing through all of our previews and everything as well. I'm trying to figure out what my next in-depth article is going to be, because what I'm trying to do in terms of my rhythm is that I've got five shows a week at Locked On. Mm-hmm. I've got a show a week here uh, with you. I've got a couple of other shows around, and then I'm trying to get three pieces out that are both you know, news and also trying to make sure I get an in-depth piece out every week as well. And so I'm trying to figure out what that next move is going to be. I'm trying to have that for Friday. Uh, but there's a lot of good stuff going on right now. And once we're able to dig into everything that's going on through training camp today, that will certainly give us a little bit more of that uh, insight as well. But I mean, it, it's a nice thing to be able to continue to do the work that we're always doing in terms of you know, trying to pull together in-depth pieces and, and put together information and projections, things like that. But also being able to you know, act as a little bit of a more, more immediate news stream at the same time. So it's a really nice quality and depth and dimension we've been able to add to the site. And it's, it's, I'm looking forward to, to more coverage from you guys. Y'all do a fantastic job. I love the, the tones that you, uh, you can get hard analysis and you can get, mm-hmm. so you can get stuff that just serves you as a fan. Yeah. And, and sometimes you don't want it to be too deep and too heavy and you, right. you guys offer that variety. And so anybody who is not following Canal Street Chronicles, isn't reading what they're doing, please check them out. Listen to the Locked on Saints podcast every day, every, every day. day. Five Every days a week, day. <laughs> every day, 50, 11 times it's going to check it out. Just put the download on, subscribe, yeah, and, be cool, yeah. and, and, and you'll enjoy it because they do great work. And Ross, in particular, you know how I feel about you, man. I think you're one of the best out there. Um, most importantly, you, because you, you really are passionate about this. Um, yeah, man. I, I, love, I love what we're getting to do. I made a whole career transition to be out here. You know, I was... You're inspiring me because I was like, when I saw you say, man, I'm putting out five articles a week, you know, I want to write five and now you kind of tempered and say three. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Five is hard. Real five, real. Real five. I didn't want to put out fluff. Right. We can do, do anybody can, we could churn out 450 words, 500 words on something and be, put it out there for you. We we know how to do that. But to give you something of worth and something that you're going to chew on as a fan. Yeah. So I'm trying to get myself back into that rhythm of writing because setting up the Mm. podcast and all that and getting going, I put so much focus into that. I'm like, man, you're a writer first and foremost. That's what you love to do. So get back to that. So you inspire me in that regard. And every time we, we connect, I feel better, man, after we get do this. Yeah, man. <laughs> I always feel like I'm like energized. I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, so this is always one of the high points of the week for me. So, yeah, man, I appreciate it. Same thing to you. We'll keep each other accountable on the article count. How about that? All right. Yep. yep. Where's your three? <laughs> Where's your three? Where's man? your three? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, tell folks again how they can follow you, um, the, the website address, and then just where they can, if they can find you someplace else on um, the next couple of days or weeks. Yeah, man. I appreciate that. So as always, Locked on Saints podcast every Monday through Friday, as we said here, er a day out here, uh, having a great time with that. And same thing over there, being able to, you know, get a little bit of a news stream going, but also going in depth and looking at, you know, I broke out the target shares potential for 2020 about how to get, 
you know, all these weapons that Drew Brees has, how many targets can you get across all these, uh, across all these players at these skill positions and everything. So, you know, being able to do the in-depth stuff, but also again, provide, you know, audio clips and everything from the, uh, from the interviews has been a lot of fun. So that's going on every single day over there. And then, uh, you know, at canalstreetchronicles.com, of course, for all the write-ups and you can follow Follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Um, and, you know, I look, I, I got a couple other places where I pop up throughout the week. So just keep an eye on the Twitter. That's what I always say. Just keep an eye on the Twitter. I'll tell you. I'll tell yeah, you where all I'm of at. our schedules are there. All of our schedules are there. That's right. It's all in the bio, man. Yeah. And you won't miss it today when we drop this sucker. And every time it's like, and I'm working on this now, too, is like for us to have our own thing our logo, mm-hmm. all that I'm stuff. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I want it. us to have, you know, add a new shirt to the shop and have a yeah. control shirt, man, and be it for us to be able to rock that. Because, I mean, this is, you know, again, I think this is something that fans look forward to when we do this. Yeah. So it's a pleasure. And so um, we'll talk again next week. So for Ross Jackson, this is David Grubb. This is Hard to Paint. And we'll see you tomorrow.